Well, thanks for letting me be here, Dave. And I really have enjoyed spending time with you and with Ryan and, and just so blessed to see what God is doing in your midst. Um, and really excited to be able to look to God's word uh, together this morning. I, I want to start with just sharing this incredible story that I read about Lieutenant General William K. Harrison. He was the most decorated soldier in the 30th Infantry Division, rated by General Eisenhower as the number one infantry division in World War II. I, I bet you you've never heard of him. Uh, but George Harrison was the first American to enter Belgium, which he did at the head of the Allied forces. He received every decoration of valor except for the Congressional Medal of Honor. He was honored with the Distinguished Silver Cross, the Silver Star, the Bronze Star for Valor, and the Purple Heart. And when the Korean War began, he served as the Chief of Staff in the United Nations Command. And because of his character and his self-control, he was ultimately President Eisenhower's choice to head the long and tedious negotiations that ended the Korean War. All before most of us were born, right? So here's what I want you to know about General Harrison, though. When he was 20 years old, he was a cadet at West Point, and he began reading through the Old Testament once a year and the New Testament four times a year. Any of you here in your 20s? Just curious. Any of you read through the New Testament four times in one year? Yeah, I, I've never done that. That's, that's amazing. It says General Harris, Harrison did this every year until the end of his life. And even in the thick of war, he maintained his commitment by catching up during the two and three day breaks for replacement and refitting for battles so that when the war was over, he was right on schedule with reading through the Bible. So at the age of 90, his failing eyesight no longer permitted his disciplined reading, but he had read through the Old Testament 70 times and through the New Testament 280 times. I think that's, that's amazing. And there's two lessons that I want us to learn from General Harrison. The first it, is that it is possible that even for the busiest of people to purposefully and systematically feed on God's word. I think nobody could be busier or lead a more demanding schedule than a general while in war, Right? And yet he found time to saturate himself with the Bible. But the second thing that his life, I think, demonstrates to us is a man who constructed his life on God's word. It was the foundation for his living. And his closest associates told us that his, every area of his life and each of the great problems that he faced were all informed by the word of God. And people marveled at his knowledge of God and his word and his ability to bring it to light. And I want to tell you that that just doesn't happen by accident. It happens when we are students of the word of God. And it demands that we immerse ourselves with this book, the, the Holy Scriptures. And Dale Moody, I think, once said, he said, the scriptures were not given for our information, but for our transformation. So I want to invite you this morning as we would look at Psalm 1, if you have a Bible, uh, to turn to Psalm 1. If you don't have one, there's some at the end of each row. Go ahead and grab one or pass it down to a friend. 
And I'd like to just read slowly through Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, in this psalm, we find, as General Harrison found, really what the foundation to a life that prospers really looks like, a life that is fruitful. It says here, that when we delight in the law of the Lord and when we meditate on God's word day and night, we have a life that's prosperous. We have a life that's successful. It comes by the priority of our daily routine. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a routine in the morning. And I have found that when I follow my routine in the morning, I have a better day. I have found that when I abandon my routine, I have a less successful day. Have any of you established a morning routine and found that to be true? Okay, for those of you who haven't, I just want to tell you that it took me a long, long time in life to actually discover that this is true. Because I, like most 20-somethings and 30-somethings in that phase of life, loved sleep. Anybody here love sleep? I love sleep. I still love sleep. But you know what I found out is that when I choose to sleep and hit the snooze button over and over again, which my wife is here, you can ask her. I, I used to be really, really good at this. And when I hit the snooze button over and over again, what would happen is I would rush into my morning and rush into my day. And my entire day, I would feel like I was always trying to catch up. But when I started actually to establish a morning routine and getting up a little bit earlier each morning, I actually began to find that my day experienced a greater sense of peace and a greater sense of purpose because I I took time in my morning routine to to think about my day, to pray about my day, and to have my day informed by reading scripture and meditating on the scriptures. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me just flip over there a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it tells us about the value of the word of God. And it says this, says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, 
and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That, that'd be a great verse. If you memorize verses, I would encourage you, this is a great one to remember, memorize because it reminds us of the value of God's worth, word in our lives. It is wholly adequate for everything that we face in life. And it tells us here that it teaches truth. It, uh, let me get them all right here. It teaches truth. It rebukes error. It corrects behavior. And it trains in righteousness. Have any of you ever been in training? Trained for a race, trained for a marathon, trained with a, you know, at the gym? Just a few of you? Okay. If you've ever worked with a trainer, it's amazing how much more effective you are. When I've worked with a trainer, in fact, my wife and I were just talking about this on the way here this morning. I need to hook up with my trainer again um, at the gym. Because when I work with my trainer, I am so much more focused and I am so much more productive in my workout. And I think the word of God is our trainer. When we focus and devote ourselves to understanding and then applying the word of God in our lives, it, it trains us to do what is right. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.6 to be constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine which you've been following. And I, I just want to encourage you that, that we need to be regularly meditating and feeding ourselves on the word of God in order to grow. 1 Peter 2.2, it says, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. You know, when an, when an athlete's in training, he just doesn't, you know, work out once a week or whenever he feels like it. It's a regular routine of concentrated workouts. And from a spiritual training standpoint, it, we need the same thing. We need regular, consistent meditation and thoughtful study of God's word. If we do that, Someone tells us, then we'll be prosperous. Then we'll be fruitful. And the result, Paul says here, of feeding on God's word in verse 17, is that you will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped, prepared. And you know, it's not enough just to study what it says. We really have to do what it says. I love what James says. He says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. We have to be committed to meditating on what it says and then doing what it says. That's one of the things I love about the resolve method of, of really coming to scripture of instead of just reading and praying every day we read God's word we we seek to understand what it means and then we apply it to our lives we do what it says so the resolve method just has three simple questions that you can ask when you come to the scripture the first is just you ask the question what then you ask the question so what and then you ask the question now what okay so when we ask what we look at well what does it say 
when we ask, so what, we're, we're trying to understand, so what does it mean? Okay, I understand what it says, but what does that mean? And then now what? That's the action step. Now what is, in light of what it says and what it means, what am I supposed to do? And if every time we come to God's word with this sense of resolve, that we ask what, so what, and now what, and we actually commit ourselves to do what it says, it will change your life. It will transform you. And then, as someone says, you will be prosperous. I think I want to share with you one of the challenges that I think we face in the culture that we live in today. And that is that we, we face a danger of what I call infantilism. Infantilism. You may have never heard of this before, but I think it's a danger for a lot of people who go to church on Sunday or have, you know, begun that process of hanging out with other Christians. And, and, and what happens is, is infantilism is the inability of a Christian to spiritually feed oneself, resulting in an unhealthy dependence on supplemental nourishment from de- pre-digested meals. Now, just think about that. There are a lot of Christians who don't know how to feed themselves. And so what do they do? They listen to podcasts. They listen to sermons on Sunday. And they think it's enough to be taught God's word by a gifted and trained teacher. So I don't have to learn how to feed myself. I'll just let somebody else feed me. Now, think about your own life if you never learned to feed yourself? What might that look like? Pastor Willie O'Burke, who planted a church in Greeley, Colorado, he, he refers to these people who sit on Sunday and enjoy being fed gourmet meals. He calls them pew leeches. He says they're just taking up space because they don't make a contribution. They come to church to be fed, and then they quickly complain if they feel that they're not getting enough pre-digested meals on Sunday morning. Pew leeches will never become growing, healthy Christians because they don't learn to study God's Word for themselves. Now, If you're a spiritual infant here this morning, I think it's great that you come to be fed the Word of God. But you don't want to keep eating pre-digested meals. You don't want to become dependent on pastors or on commentaries to study the Bible for you and tell you what it means. You need to learn to feed yourself. That's how we mature. That's how we become prosperous in life because we feed ourselves on the word of God. One pastor said this, he says, we're never doing people in the church a favor by encouraging them to come and just listen and take notes if we really want them to grow. Now, I hope you take notes on something I say this morning. I think that'd be really cool. But I'm less concerned at what you write down. I'm more concerned with what you commit to do in response to what you hear. 
So imagine we go out to dinner tonight. My wife and I, as we're driving here, we pass this restaurant called Canlis. Have any of you ever been to Canlis? Beautiful little restaurant over there. Um, so imagine we're at Canlis, and you happen to be there, and my wife and I are there, and, and maybe you're there with your family or friends. It's a, it's a great restaurant, and I order this amazing steak dinner. And you're over there, and you see me, and, 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 and you're kind of not wanting to watch, but you can't help but notice that my wife reaches over, and she starts cutting up my steak. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, that, that's romantic. And some of you are thinking, that's weird, right? Because here, you know, what appears to be a normal, healthy man is being helped, assisted by his wife to cut up his steak. And then... Not only does she cut up my steak, but then she takes my fork and she grabs a piece of meat. And she starts to bring that piece of meat up to her very own mouth. And she chews it for me. And then she puts it in my mouth. Okay, now what are you thinking? That's gross. That's sick. And I hope you're thinking, what's wrong with Dave? Because as a 50-something-year-old man, you would expect that Dave would be able to feed himself. And yet something is radically wrong here if his wife is feeding him this incredibly expensive steak dinner and first digesting it, chewing it a little bit herself, and then giving it to him. You would assume that even though by my outward appearance you'd think I am physically mature, when my wife feeds me, you realize that I'm not. And I would suggest to you that if you are not learning how and practicing feeding yourself spiritually, you will never become spiritually mature. Wayne Cadero, founding pastor of New Hope Christian Fellowship in Honolulu, he encourages entire congregation to spend time daily in God's word. And he emphasizes the importance of being mentored by the Holy Spirit in that process. And he uses this picture. He pictures himself wanting to learn to play, play the guitar. And he contrasts the result from taking a, a group class to learn to play the guitar at a community college versus being personally mentored by jazz great Joe Paz for one hour every day. After one year, anybody would be able to recognize that he didn't learn to play the guitar in a class once a week, that he had been mentored by the master. And I think if you, if you begin to think about your spiritual development, I love that Psalm 1 says he meditates on it day and night. 
There's consistency, there's routine. If you just feed on the Word of God once a week on Sunday morning and then maybe in your small group and that's it, it's like taking a group guitar class at the community college once a week. You might get better, but you're not going to grow. Wayne Cadero says, the best thing we've ever done for our church is to teach people to feed themselves. Mark Atterbury asked this question. He says, with all the new Bible translations, software packages, study aids, teaching conferences, wonderful Christian books that are available nowadays, how is it possible that a conscientious Christian could be malnourished unless he's sitting around waiting to be spoon-fed? He says this, my advice to any starving Christian is to pick up your fork and eat. So I want to encourage us that we have this opportunity to be students of the Word of God. And I would say don't let, you know, Pastor Dave or, or Ryan or whoever is leading your small group be the one who does it for you. We must learn to study for ourselves. We must meditate on the word of God ourselves. We need to be like the, the Bereans in Acts 17 where it says the, they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They didn't just take Paul's word. Isn't that fascinating? Paul's the one who actually wrote the majority of our New Testament. And they didn't just take him at his word. They checked to see if what he said was consistent with the Old Testament scriptures. In one way, you could say they didn't just eat what Paul served them, right? They taught themselves from God's word. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent. What does that mean? It means do your best. Give it your full effort. Pursue it. Make it your priority. Don't put it off. Don't delay it. But be, be diligent. It takes effort. And I, I'm the first to tell you, I am busy. You are busy. But we must discipline ourselves to meditate on the word of God day and night. Like the wise man who built his house on the rock. It demands work. It isn't easy, which is why a lot of Christians neglect what I'm talking to you about. R.C. Sproul says this. He says, here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem, here he says it is, that we're lazy. And I think there are a lot of Christians who neglect the intake of God's word because we just don't want to put in the effort. Paul says, be diligent, do your best. 
Give it your best effort. And then he goes on to say, rightly handling the word, to be precise, to be accurate. Don't just guess what it means, study it. And I want to give you just three simple principles that I learned about studying God's word. Ready? Here, it's real simple. You can remember that. You don't even have to write this down. Ready? Here you go. Context, context, context. If you really want to understand what it says, don't go look in all other you know, sources to you know, find out what does that mean. Look at the context. And we start in the, the context of the passage and then the chapter and then the book and then how that fits into the context of the Bible. What did it mean to its original hearers? How did they understand it? What's the historical background? What's the cultural setting? The difference between studying the Bible and reading the Bible is that we ask questions when we study. So here's some basic questions to ask, right? You you learn these in school. Who, what, where, when, why, how? Great questions to start with. A basic principle as we look to God's word and we're meditating on it and we're studying it is this. I learned this from Curtis Mitchell. He said, if the plain sense makes common sense, then seek no other sense, for that is nonsense. I think a lot of times we read something and we go, oh, well, this must mean that. Oh, it can't, be. It can't mean that. There's got to be some other deeper spiritual secret meaning to the passage. And I, and I want to say, no, I, I, there, there probably isn't. Look for what makes sense and then simply do what it says. And I like, I like the uh, case question, C-A-S-E. Is there a command to obey? Is there an attitude to adopt? Is there a sin to avoid? And is there an example to follow? Great questions to ask as you meditate on God's word. Is there a command to obey? Is there an attitude to adopt? Is there a sin to avoid or an example to follow? And if as we meditate on God's word, we will, I believe, truly get a grip on what God's saying to us. Okay? All right, I I need a volunteer. Would someone be willing to come up here and just volunteer with me for a minute? Are those hands moving or what's going on? Okay, come on up. Great. This, I, won't, I won't embarrass you at all. Thanks. I'm Dave. Joseph. Nice to meet you, Joseph. Okay, just hold out your hand like this. Okay, I'm just going to place God's word there in your hand. Okay? Now, if I wanted to take this away from you, how easy would it be if it's just sitting there in your hand like that? Pretty easy? Pretty easy. Yeah, okay. Now I want you to hold on to it with just a cup of your thumb and maybe one finger. Okay? How easy is that for me to take? Not, yeah, okay. So if you really want to hold on to it, what are you going to do? Ah, you're going to take two hands, right? And then I'm going to take two hands. Am I going to be able to get that away from you? No. Probably not, right? Because what are you doing? Holding on. Yeah, you're holding on to it. You're grasping on to it, Okay. Thanks, you can sit down. You're a great volunteer. Give him a hand, okay? Thank you. I want to I give you some insight on how to really hold on to God's Word, how to really grasp God's Word. And, and there are five ways, and, and really I think there's six. Um, but we want to we do these things. We want to hear it regularly. 
We want to read it daily. We want to memorize it accurately, meditate on it fully, study it thoroughly, and apply it specifically. So the palm of your hand is the apply, okay? So let's talk about each one of those. And I want to, I want to go back to Psalm 1, okay? So in Psalm 1, you know, we read, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. And the first thing that I want to say to you is that hearing God's word will help you to grow spiritually. But just hearing it isn't probably enough. But it's a starting point. So if you come on Sunday morning and you hear God's word and you listen to it being taught, I would, I would encourage you, come on Sunday prepared to hear the word of God. Come to your small group. Come, come prepared to hear the word of God. And then secondly, not only do we want to hear it, but we want to read it. And a USA Today poll showed that only 11% of Americans read the Bible every day. More than half read it less than once a month or never at all. And I think Jesus is the one who said, didn't he say something like that? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I, I believe that he intended us to read every word. So I would encourage you to develop a habit of reading the word of God. My habit is to try to read one chapter each day. So don't try, you know, I don't try to overdo it and say, oh, I'm going to read through this book you know, today. or whatever. I, I, just, I read one chapter each day. And then one, the next thing I want you to think about is not just hearing it and reading it, but memorizing it, right? Find verses that apply to your life and write them down and, and memorize them. Because when you store God's word in your mind, it's available for the Holy Spirit to remind you and bring it to your attention when you need it most. Here, here's a really cool thought. I just I want you to think about this. You can remember 100% of the things you memorize. Right? 100% you can remember if you memorize it, right? So here it is, verse 2, I think is a great verse to memorize. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I bet you you could memorize that in five to ten minutes. Okay? In fact, if you want, there are actually scripture memory apps out there that will help you in that process of memorizing God's word. But I want to encourage you to memorize it, and maybe even Psalm 1-2 would be a great verse to start with. And then, and then of course, not only do you want to hear it, read it, and memorize it, we, we want to meditate it on it, right? It says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And he's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. Now, meditation, if you, if you think about it, it's that picture of like a, a cow chewing its cud, okay? And it's this idea of the cow is digesting that food over and over again. And when you meditate on scripture, 
you're thinking about what it says and what it means over and over and over again. So one of the ways I like to do this is I like to, when I meditate on Scripture, I like to insert myself into the passage. I like to personalize it. Okay, so if I did that in this passage, verse 3, I would then say, well, Dave then is like a tree planted by streams of water, and Dave is yielding fruit in season, and Dave's leaf does not wither, and whatever Dave does prospers. And I begin to think about and imagining what would that look like for me to personalize this passage in my life? Think about verse 1, Dave is blessed, or blessed is Dave, when he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, when Dave does not stand in the way of sinners, when Dave does not sit in the seat of mockers, but Dave's delight is in the law of the Lord. And you can, you, if you, as you insert yourself into the passage and you begin to think about what does that look like? What do I need to do? How do I live that out? I believe that habit, that, that meditation is going to lead to your leaf not withering and whatever you do will prosper. So we need to hear it. We need to read it. We need to memorize it. We need to meditate on it. We need to study it, to ask questions to look at cross-references, to discover how these verses tie in with the whole book, to even understand the contrast between the wicked and those who are delighting in the Lord. It says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly, but the Lord watches over the righteous, those who are following him and meditating on his word. And there's this whole contrast. You begin to study and understand that the Lord is for you and is watching over you and is guiding you in the way that you should go. I love what um, Psalm 119 says. It says, uh, David says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And as we, as we meditate on God's word, as we memorize God's word, as we study God's word, it leads us in that path of righteousness. David says, for thy word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. It guides me in the way that I should go. But hearing, reading, memorizing, meditating, studying it is not the end. The end is applying it specifically. And I want to challenge you that the most important thing that we can do is actually obey the word of God. To do what it says. Too many times I think we come to scripture with a just-in-case mentality. And we say, well, boy, this is really good. If just in case I'm ever in a situation where da-da-da-da-da, I'll need to remember that. Rather than thinking just in time. So I'll give you an example. Imagine we, we're reading through Ephesians, and we come to that point where it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. 
And we think, well, you know, maybe someday I'll be in a situation where I need to forgive somebody or be kind to somebody. So just in case, I'll just store that truth away for that day. I I don't think that's really obeying what it says. It's knowing what it says, but obeying what it says is when we get to the point where we say, wow, who in my life is the hardest to forgive right now? How will I choose to forgive them this week? And we commit ourselves with resolve to say, I will forgive my dad. I will forgive my brother. I will forgive my boss at work who's being a jerk to me. I will forgive this person because why? Because God in Christ has forgiven me. Not just in case, just in time, just now, I choose to do what it says. I think if we come to God's word with a commitment that says, I will, I will resolve to do this, that's when we're really actually maturing in our faith. See, maturity isn't a destination that we arrive at because we know what the Bible says. Maturing is a process that continues throughout our entire lives as we apply what the Word of God says. Does that make sense? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out a piece of paper and a pen. I see there's pens all over the place around here on these little clipboards. So everybody should have a pen or a piece of paper that you can find. Borrow something from a friend if you need to. And here's just a simple task, two things that I want to ask you to do, okay? Number one, as you reflect on all the scriptures we've looked at this morning, or as you reflect specifically on Psalm 1, I want you to write down a statement that starts with these two words, I will blank, okay? So I just want you to ask God... Just in this moment, God, in response to what I've just heard, what do you want me to do? And then I want to challenge you to just write it down. I will, and then complete that sentence. What is it that God wants you to do this morning in response to what we've heard? Okay, now what I want you to consider doing is turning to the person next to you or near you and just reading what you wrote down. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to say anything more than what you wrote down. But I want to encourage you just to share what it is you wrote down and then listen as they share with you what they wrote down. Okay? We'll give about 60 seconds. Go. Ten seconds to wrap up. Okay, now typically what would happen when you come back next Sunday to church, we'll jump in and we'll study another passage. And I want to challenge you that that's really dangerous to just go through this process of hearing God's word and committing to do what it says if we don't actually take time to check in with each other. So my challenge to you
is that, well, it'd be twofold. One, you actually do what you wrote down and said you were going to do. That would be challenge number one. Challenge number two would be that you find the person that you just shared this with and check in with them and review. And this is the question I want you to ask. Not, did you do it? Because that feels really judgmental and condemning, at least to me. I don't want you to ask, did you do it? What I want you to ask is this. What happened when you did what you said? Doesn't that give you a totally different feeling than did you do it? When I ask what happened, I actually believe that you're going to do what you said. That the Holy Spirit in you will enable you to live out what he's put in your heart to do. And I can't wait to hear what happened as you are maturing in Jesus. As you're maturing in the application of his truth. Now, here's the reality. There's a possibility that some of you might not succeed. And you might have to share, I didn't do it. Or I didn't succeed. Or this is what didn't happen. And you know what? That's okay. Because we live in a community of grace. So that's not judgment, right? When I'd ask you next week if I were here and you said, boy, I didn't do it, Dave. I would say this. What does the Spirit want you to do next? Because what we want to do is we want to become those who not only know the word, but we do what it says as we follow the Spirit's leading in our lives. That's what I think will be key to yielding fruit in season, having leaves that do not wither, and prospering. I want to close with just this little story. There's a man in Kansas City who was severely injured in an explosion. And his face was so badly disfigured that he lost his eyesight as well as both hands. He was a new Christian, and one of his greatest disappointments was that he could no longer read the Bible. But then he heard about this woman in England who read Braille with her lips. So hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille. But much to his dismay, however, he discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had been destroyed by the explosion. So one day, as he brought one of the Braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters, and he could feel them. Like a flash, he thought, I can read the Bible using my tongue. At the time that Robert Sumner wrote about this in his book, The Wonders of God, the man had read through the Bible with his tongue four times. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you have not left us alone to wander in the dark to figure out what it is that you want us to do. That you have given us your word and that your word is profitable and it is adequate to equip us in every way for every good work. Lord, help us to be those who meditate on the truth of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.